What if you discovered a footprint that was broader and flatter than a human foot with no arch, but still had some midfoot flexibility? Toes that are longer with a big toe more like a human. If you were a footprint expert, you would know that this print belonged to a large primate walking on two legs, an animal that could navigate the irregular surfaces of the mountains and forest with ease. Discovering that these same prints have been seen all over the world but have not been attributed to any known species. Based on everything you discover, you're convinced, on the basis of the evidence, that a bipedal hominoid exists. Wouldn't you put your time and research into studying these prints? This is exactly what Dr. Jeff Meldrum did. Stay tuned. Destination Mystery presents Case File 33. listening to Mystery Media Group. Yay! Dr. Jeff Meldrum is a professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University. His research encompasses questions of vertebrae evolutionary morphology, generally primate locomotor adaptations more particularly, and especially the emergence of modern human bipedalism. His interest in the footprints attributed to Sasquatch was peaked when he examined a set of 15-inch tracks in Washington in 1996. Now, his lab houses over 300 footprint casts attributed to this mystery primate. He conducts collaborative laboratory and field research throughout North America and in the world. He has spoken about his findings in numerous popular and professional publications, interviews, television and radio appearances, public and professional presentations. And now on our podcast, he is the author of Sasquatch, Legend Meets Science, which explores his and other scientists' evaluations of contemporary evidence on the subject. He has also published two field guides, one focusing on Sasquatch and the second casting the net more broadly to consider the potential of relic hominoids around the world. He is editor-in-chief of the scholarly referred journal, The Relic Hominoid Inquiry. This summer, Mike and I were able to visit Dr. Meldrum in his lab at Idaho State University, where he showed us his collection of footprints. The following is an interview done while in the lab, starting with what he calls the rat maze. It's like a little rat maze, but um, <laughs> uh, the drawers are, are full and utterly of casts. Cliff Barrett keeps me in so many additional specimens besides the ones that come to my attention and I exchange with him that, that's stacking up on the shelves now. That's but, awesome. Um, this is where it started for me. But um, as you can see, it's kind of a mess, but this is just the work, workshop style. And uh, I'm working on another book, and so all the materials okay. are piling up. And 
constantly shipping things back and forth and and uh, so you're able to kind of make replicas right here then yes awesome. yeah so I have the materials to to make uh, latex molds and and uh, and then crank out plaster replicas uh, just doing some one anticipating another uh, or a conference cycles starting back up now that the yeah. COVID's uh, do you have any plans the only one I've got on my calendar are, are after the summer. I've been keeping the summer kind of open because um, I've been working with a producer developer for a production company that's making a pitch to Discovery oh. and uh, Discovery and, and also Travel Channel. Uh, that's still in limbo, and so I've been kind of in limbo and trying to just keep the calendar open a little bit until we have that resolved. But uh, well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm exciting. looking forward to that if it if it develops. And then uh, over here um, is where we kind of process some of the hair samples. I get hair now by raccoon too. Oh yeah, and uh, you just got one from was it Expedition Bigfoot? Uh, that's right. There was one from from, from that uh, that series that was promising. It uh, you know when we're looking at, at kind of the gold standard, most most mammals have uh, a medulla, this dark band, and and it's quite distinctive of different species. Uh, in, in all, not only its proportion, but in the in the appearance, uh, whether it's uh, kind of vaculated or vesiculated, or there's different terms to describe uh, the anatomy. Sasquatch hair seems; those we attribute to Sasquatch seems to be uniformly um, lacking in that cellular medulla which is an, a, a very distinguishing characteristic, but it's also very frustrating because that's where you typically get the uh, cellular debris for the DNA. Is that so, how other apes are too, or? No, chimpanzees have, uh, uh, chimpanzees and gorillas and, uh, and orangs all have fairly distinctive medulla. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not unique to Sasquatch. I mean, there are other animals, even humans, with very fine, uh, light-colored hair <coughs> are often lacking a cellular medulla. And that's been one of the, the sort of the <laughs> uh, points that, uh, you know, my predecessor, uh, Dr. Henner Fehrenbach, was sort of the hair expert. Uh, not sort of, he was the, the hair expert amongst those who would take the time to look at them. He was a microscopist at the Oregon Regional Primate Research Center. And so uh, he uh, had, uh, after looking at lots and lots of different samples, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward to differentiate primate from other fur-bearing mammals here in North America. And uh, primate hair, just as our body hair, is different than the sort of um, dual uh, guard hair and under fur pattern that you see in, in other mammals. And, uh, and the guard hairs are very distinct. I mean, they often have their kind of uh, uh, banded patterns or they have a flaring shape come out to a spade-like taper at the end. Whereas human hair is just... Just like you know, squeezing a tube of toothpaste, mm -hmm. it's just parallel sided, blunt horn at the end. <clears throat> and so, there are other subtleties by which it can be distinguished from human um, uh, if the follicle is, is actively growing, or if it, if um, uh, there's other things, the uh, 
pigment lozenges, the, the uh, granules of pigment have a more distinctive appearance, a different morphology in the Sasquatch than some humans. I even had an opportunity to go and do some um, track bed studies with the chips where we had them walk in sand as we were filming them and then and then make plaster casts of the footprints uh, that resulted. And uh, anyway, the point was that uh, that that got me thinking about it. But then when I saw these tracks, you know, and uh, there were some that had that were literally, I mean, like like this, where the, you know, it had toe that slid in. It was running at this point. Oh, is that that's the toe sliding down? Yeah. So the toes are gripping in. So here's the cast itself. See, the toes are digging in, the, the mud is extruding up between the toes. They aren't claw marks. So this isn't exactly the shape of the foot. This is what's, this part squeezed when it... Well, it it, 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 it did it did slide back, but, but once it stops, see, and then it pushes off, then this, this is truly what the forefoot looks oh. like. But the heel never really touched down. It came down, you know, it's like you or I, if we go running down the beach on the balls of our feet we leave a footprint like that but it's much more abbreviated because we have an arch they have a flat flexible foot that bends like this and so when they run their foot collapses into flexion through that transverse tarsal joint the heel is up in the air as they're running see but in this case it just slid and slipped you know here's one that didn't slide as far where it was run, still running, trying to get to cover, I think. And it's, you know, I just call them half tracks. It's just, uh, but. so anyway, so that, yeah, as I, as I looked at that and there were examples, they don't show up as well. The photos, uh, let me see if I can get. Are these actual photos from that visit? They are, they are. And uh, see here, you can kind of see a little, little more of the setting. It was a, a farm access road. So aside, there was a gravel road out here. And then this, this was just for the eight TVs of the farm uh, uh, landowner. And um, uh, the soil in that part of Washington is really silty. It has this fine glacial lust. It's like talcum powder. Mm. When it's wet, then it's very clay. It picks up all kinds of details. It's so fine. But you can see, it's kind of hard to tell, but here's the one plastered cat or footprint. Then there's another print right here at, at a decided angle. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one here, another These one These are both left feet? This is left, left, yep. It was, it's unfortunate. I was kind of, you know, I, uh, I don't know how to even describe it. I just didn't, I, I, I was pinching myself. I couldn't believe this was real. Like you said, I'd, I'd gotten an earful. And so I was kind of skeptical of Freeman at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, how could he have done this? You know? But I was so flabbergasted by it that I even had a, 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 a you know, VHA, VHS video camera behind the bench seat of my brother's pickup truck that we were in. And I totally forgot about it. <laughs> so I took all these pictures, but I could have videotaped right. the whole thing and, and narrated it. Oh, and your everything. brain, you get so oh, I excited. Know, I know. It's just, it was crazy. But this was really quite interesting because, see, notice how uh, this one's angled out, and then there's a, it's hard to see, but right there's another one angled out. So along this stretch, every second 
um, footprint, right foot, was angled out 45 degrees. And um, John Green had, had published a photo from up in British Columbia where there was a long line of tracks down the beach. And, and the same way, about every third or second or third footprint was angled out. And he tried to attribute it maybe to some uh, injury or weakness in the leg or something there. Well, later this, the summer following this, we went over on a family vacation to Oregon to visit friends that had moved out there and spent the day down at the beach. And so once I got the kids building sandcastles over, I, I said, I'm going to do some research. <laughs> and so I started watching the way people walked. Well, uh, uh, I guess I got, I was too observant. I got a couple dirty looks. Well, that's your specialty. <laughs> so anyway, so I started looking at my own footprints. And, and you know, if, you're, if you've had any experience tracking, it's easier to see footprints if you look into the sun. Because then as the light hits the footprint, it casts a shadow that delineates the, that edge more vividly against the background. So you can see those because of the shadow by going into the sunlight. So anyway, so I was walking away from the from the setting sun and uh, uh, and uh, I kept looking back over my shoulder to kind of take in how it was, uh, how my, because my, I would walk different ways. You know, I'd walk fast or I'd walk slow or, and, and uh, leisurely or whatever. But I noticed my right foot kept angling out. Well, every time I looked over my shoulder, my right foot was angling out 45 degrees. Mm. So that's what I think was happening here and on this, this beach example is that I, it was, I think it, because uh, it, it had turned around 180 degrees. And I think what happened is some, this was uh, in uh, spring and the snows had just melted off of the foothills a little bit. You could get up into some of the uh, forest now with a four-wheel drive truck. And I think on this week, this was on a weekend, you know, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning when these had to have been laid down, they were so fresh. I think somebody was coming back from a bonfire up in the foothills. And, and you know, I can imagine the headlights come bouncing down the road and it turns and starts walking away really fast. And to assess the, the progress, it was looking out over its shoulder right. a few steps. And then there was this one, this one kind of, oh, there's that's one I'm gonna show you. This one kind of, really uh, made it clear. See, so here's here's one of the ATV tracks. So this is the line of the road. You can see here's the outline of the heel. So it was stepped 45 mm -hmm. degrees angled out. And at this point it turned, it pivoted and started running. And from there on the step doubled in length. Uh -huh. And you can see how the toes uh -huh. slid back across the instep as it whoosh, slid in the mud. And then the next tracks were half tracks like these where it was running. So you could tell it was running. So, so there's a lot you can tell from a footprint. Oh yeah. About yeah, you can reach So their heel doesn't go down um like well, a if, if they're running fast, if they're sprinting, you know, a short burst of speed, then instead of being, well, let me grab a, let me reach past here. All right, here. So because of our arch, see, when we sprint, we're up on the ball of our foot. And that's why we leave just this abbreviated kind of a footprint like that. Mm -hmm. But when, because they don't have the ability to lock this pair of joints like we do, when, when we twist, we have a very limited range. So you can see how those joints kind of fit right together. There's not, it can kind of pivot, but on a chimpanzee, that joint surface comes 
way back up here, it can slide. It's hard to do with these things in the way. It can slide up here like this. Let's see, do I have the chimp? Let me grab it right now. Yeah, this is the chimp. So here's the chimp. See, so look at the difference wow. in that bone right there. See that surface? Oh, yeah. And here, there, there is no extension of that smooth joint surface up onto the neck. Well, that this means that this bone, that it's wired together so I can't, in a living individual, can slide all the way back up to here. In other words, it can, it can bend right there like that, oh. slide all that way. So, so we've restricted that so we have a more stiff foot, and especially during the, the latter part of the, of the support phase, so that the entire foot can act as a lever. Whereas, a, excuse me, a chimp or a Sasquatch still has a greater range of flexibility there. And so what happens is their heel comes up like this, and then the push-off comes through this entire part of the foot. But when they run, then they can't balance up on, uh, because they don't have an arch like this, it collapses into flexion. So they run on the front halves of the foot like that. And leave these half and, tracks. And that's what allows them to climb better. Well, it does, yeah, because see, in the chimp, that adaptation allows this part of the foot to be prehensile, to be gripping, mm -hmm. whereas then this moves as the lever when they're climbing up a vertical support. What well, slow flight. Uh, exactly, that's the point. So they don't need, the Sasquatch doesn't need to grip a tree trunk, but if they're going up a slope, it's pretty handy if you can maintain these longer toes because you're not pushing off through the toes like humans do, which selects for shortened toes to avoid the bending stresses on those curved bones. So we have short, straight toes. But so Sasquatch have longer toes, they can grip onto things, but then it allows um, that angle to be navigated because this part of the foot can move more independently. So it's a great adaptation for going up. So they can just put it right up a hill. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Wow. And that's, you know, you hear witnesses. That's one of the things that's often very impressive to witnesses is How fast they just they go, yeah, mm -hmm. climb right up the hillsides. That combined with that massive muscles, those huge gluteals, which are extenders of the leg. So they're they're the muscles that are used in the hamstrings and so on. You know, they've got these gigantic thighs that are about as big around as our torso, you know. So wow. so anyway, so that was kind of this was the one that sort of clinched it. Um, but again, it's a, there's a flash which kind of flattens the uh, the uh, impression of the topography. But you can see these expansion cracks right here. There's a ridge right there that's very similar to. Uh, let me reach past you again here. Grab this one right here. Okay, here's the famous Titmus cast from the Patterson-Gimlin film site. I had that when I got it from you a while ago. Well, notice it, it's got this crack. It's almost uh -huh. identical yeah. to the crack right there. Oh, you're right. In, in there, because it, it basically what happens then is huh. as the as the heel comes up, this part of the foot, so you can see there's the deepest imprint right here, where there's more weight than per unit area because the heel is lifted up and that causes some of the material to be pushed back. Well the heel is out up, so it's not it's not being compacted by the heel. The heel's already up in the air. So as this material goes up like that, it expands and <coughs> just oh. forms little cracks there expansion cracks 
and and I was familiar enough with this print from the years back when I was reading about it and so forth. So I was intrigued by that photo, you know, and people had tried to explain it as being that because there was a, some twigs that were sticking out of the sand on the one side. They thought that it was a, say, a green bough that was partly covered by the sand and it stepped on that, pushed it down. But when weight was released, then it just bounced back up. Mm. Well, it has nothing to do with the little twig sticking out there. And it's it's repeated yeah. multiple footprints yeah. in exactly the same place in exactly the same orientation. You know, it's just not a coincidence. And so when I saw this, I thought, that reminds me of this. And, I th and then all these things started coming together. And of course, all my all my studies subsequent to my familiarity with this of, of uh, chimpanzees and grade eight locomotion. So, so I remember you talking about finding these footprints from like China or all over the world yeah. and then putting it all together that they were the same. Right. So did this kind of, is this where you went, oh, we've got well, something new here or? Well, it started to come together. I mean, it, it started to make sense that if, if you had a, a flat uh, archless foot, then it would have made sense to retain that kind of flexibility um, in order to have the uh, you know, the uh, adaptability to the very broken, rough, steep, inclined terrain that this creature was at. When when I was in China, that really clinched it for me then. And I've actually got a poster hanging up outside in the hole. We were looking at it. Oh, did you? Okay, well, see, because that, there's just no, no way this guy could have had any idea. Right. When he cast those two footprints, I hadn't even published anything. I hadn't spoken publicly about my thoughts on the mid-tarsal break at the, as it relates to Sasquatch um, at all. So he would have had no no source material, mm -hmm. no inspiration to have incorporated such a detail, even if he had the wherewithal to interpret what I had been talking about and right. put it appropriately. So, you know, here, here's these examples of tracks that are so remarkably similar to the Patterson-Gimlin film site in size and proportion and show those very same... Um, the same features, and and there have been numerous other examples. Uh, even the cast, you know, the the uh, the cast that uh, uh, Jerry Crew, uh, uh, famous one where he's standing there holding the the cast. They, the news reporter who took the picture used a really strong flash, which has a tendency to flatten things out. Mm -hmm. There's a big strong shadow behind him. Well, I had a chance to examine the cast itself, the original, and it had subsequently been cleaned up even more than in than what it was in. They still had some adhering dirt and so forth between the toes and whatnot. And if you look at it, it has a pressure ridge. Mm. It's a little more subtle than this one, just because it was not in the sand. Right. Um, harder. Sand yeah. Harder ground. Right. A little harder ground, but it showed the exact same proportion, same shape, and everything. And so there, there have just been so many repeat appearances. But of those and um, half tracks, here's the one of the half tracks from the um, uh, Hereford track, the Grace Harbor County, Washington. And again, it's it's broken right here. Here's another one. This was one that came to uh, Cliff's attention. Um, there was a, a couple that had heard uh, about the you know, conversation about what was going on up there at the site, went up to look and. Um, 
apparently Hereford had some plaster left and saw this couple very interested and said, here, I got a little plaster left. Do you want to make a cast? Oh, wow. So they did. And this was the one they made. So they brought this to the town hall meeting when uh, Bigfoot was there in town and let, uh, let um, Cliff uh, make a replica of it. So there's no question it was one. There was a series of half tracks where, again, it bolted probably somebody coming back to the work site and it bolted for the tree line and started running. Toes are huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's an impressive. Uh, um, it's this one. If you want to reach down uh, just before the wooden box. That one, yeah. Just lift that up and hand it down here. Wow. So that's the Hereford track. And it was exceptional because there was a, uh, again, not, not lust this time, but it's dust from all the logging trucks on top of the hard pan which had been wet down by the rain. And so again, the mud extruded up between the toes around the foot, made a perfect mold essentially of this, of the step. Not, you don't want to say that these are just um, not uh, tension cracks or anything, but in this case, it's um, desiccation cracks, drying, the mud was drying out in the sun Mm. and it started, you know, how it shrinks Mm -hmm. and cracks as the moisture evaporates. So he'd have been going slow for making this, Exactly, yeah. Because otherwise it is... Right. Yeah. There'd be slime. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No. He was. I think he was just. The the footprints in this series were kind of close together. I think he was just kind of sussing out the situation, and then got spooked and bolted and took off running. But what's interesting, you know, if you take you take these and you can see again. You know, when you overlap it, then if you ignore the just the broken bit here, but you as you can see it, it mm-hmm. terminates, it tapers off right there. Well, yeah. you've got these interesting bulges. This is the head and the base of the fifth metatarsal, which is this bone right here. It's not much longer than ours. Huh. The the real increase in length of the Sasquatch foot comes in the elongation of the heel and the longer toes. But the the bones in the instep across here are not that much really that much bigger than ours. But the head and the base, and then this bulge, it corresponds to the calcaneocuboid joint between the heel and the uh, the next bone, the cuboid. And if you look at a you know if you step out of a swimming pool. On to the cement. Most people with bare feet will have uh, a bulge right there that marks that point, except theirs will be relatively further back because our heel is so short. Um, we've, we've, because of the arch, see, we've moved the fulcrum from here to here. So our input lever is the whole foot instead of just this part. If you, if you keep that flexibility, then as your body mass gets bigger to have more leverage, your heel has to get longer and longer. And that's why the Sasquatch has such thick-looking ankles, you know, the comments about the Patterson-Gimlin film, and why when the Achilles tendon or calcaneal tendon is slack, it makes the heel look really prominent. And the skeptics say, oh, look, you can see the, the fake foot sticks further out than the, than the actor's heel and protrudes. Well, it only protrudes when the foot is swinging and the calf muscle is relaxed. And when that tendon's relaxed, it's it slacks like that a little bit and makes this look like it's sticking out. But anyway, so but what was really cool is when you look at this one, 
see where all the weight's coming down just on the forefoot, there's more force and the sole pad expands more laterally. Yeah. It fills in the contour of those inflamed uh, joints and you get just a little bit increased breadth across across the forefoot as a result of that uh, greater uh, force of impact. You know, so I mean the subtleties to have, you know, it, it gets beyond any any suggestion that these are all just a bunch of hoaxes. Right. I mean, the subtlety of the anatomy. And then you get, uh, you combine that with uh, other, like the pathologies. Uh, the best example is the, the Bosberg cripple foot track, you know, the foot's oh, yeah. bent. And um, the position of those bunionettes on the outside correspond perfectly with the proportionalities that we've established with the, the mid-tarsal pressure ridge and the, uh, the half-tracks. Mm. That's where that corresponds. See, one of these is just like, you know, that much of the track with this up in the air. See? So somebody wanted, let's say they were faking it. All from one end of the world to the other. Right. That's exactly. The, there's no way that they could. Yeah. How did How did this guy in China? He couldn't speak English. They don't. You know, their TV is state run. They have a few, a few shows that that come on. You know, things that uh, that they think will uh, uh, portray us as the terrible capitalists that we are. Right. Right. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting though, because here this guy lives in a cinder block house with a corrugated steel roof. Um, and yet has a big screen TV, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but he'd never seen anything. He'd never, I, uh, we were on our way to be interviewed and they wouldn't let me see his casts until I had the cameras rolling. They wanted me to react spontaneous. Yeah. But I gave him a reprint of a paper that I published, which had a figure showing 3D scan of this track seen in three views, three, three perspectives. And he saw that and he just, he, he grabs my sleeve, you know, he's sitting <laughs> on a bus driving up to the thing and he grabs my sleeve and, and he's thumping, looking at this. I say, okay, okay, good, good. Yeah, I, I get the point. It's, it's going to be exciting. And so sure enough, we opened it up and out come those things and they're oh, just identical. Wow. Like, just, it was so amazing. He just had no way to know. And if you barefoot, right? That, well, no, you would you would think so. Yeah, you wouldn't you know. think to do something right different. I mean, like here that. here in Idaho, there was a case over on the other side near New Meadows. Was that it? Uh, it's over. Uh, so between McCall and Granger, oh, okay. so on, on the west, I'm sorry, not east, west, western side. And uh, this guy, he was a newspaper delivery guy, and so he was going out to a rural area to drop off a bundle of papers. Stopped, he said, he stopped to relieve himself at the side of the road and saw something run through the bushes. It was wee hours of the morning. And then went out there, and in the fallow field, he found a line of tracks. And the newspaper published pictures of these tracks, and they made a cast. Well, this was the cast. Well, this guy has a hyper arch, you know, an arch that goes all the way across mm-hmm. they, they, they this happens once in a while uh he also uh, you know his little toe is turned on its side he probably wears cowboy boots <laughs> and, and uh, uh it's pretty big i mean that's about 12 inches almost 12 and a half inches probably i think but uh, there's no question that it's human 
and that's what often happens. I mean, the biggest... Uh, that, that is a human one. That is human. I'm convinced it's human. They were claiming it was had to be Bigfoot. Here was one of the biggest basketball players we had. Not, and not huge, obviously, but it, it's almost That's 30, exactly the 13 same. inches. Yeah, and you just got all the same features, you know, clearly wearing shoes, the toes are nice and compact. That little toe turned on its side is a dead ringer, mm -hmm. dead so, giveaway for... And also I noticed like the little ridges in the arch right here. Oh, sure, yeah. Do you see that with Bigfoot tracks? No, we don't get because... Because, uh, because uh, they're shaped different? Because they're, they're calloused and they're barefoot all the time. Well, there's probably some of that, and also, it's it's the, the weight. When you load that um, fat pad, it's the, the tendency is as it gets compressed like this, see, it's going to want to expand away from the pressure. And so it has lots of connective tissue anchors that hold it in place. Otherwise, it'd be like walking on a water balloon. You can imagine if you tried to walk on, you know, uh, feet that had soles that were an inch, inch and a half thick of just water, it would be, you know, you, how would you hardly walk? You'd squish and slide and flop all over. So our, our fat, which is mostly water, mm -hmm. is, so it's non-compressible, but it's anchored with all kinds of little, it's like it's honeycombed with connective tissue, uh, you know, gristle, holding that fat anchored to the, the underlying structures. But so when you press on that, it expands. And so the, the little creases and things that you see here, where there is no pressure because it's off the ground, see, um, they just get stretched out. Those features disappear. Gotcha. Um, it's just like, for example, um, there there are some tracks that have what uh, what is a flexion crease across the foot right here that got lots of attention because it was very prominent. Is that what you're talking about? This piece right there. Well, was that, this is a bear, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. but is that bear. the? No, no, that's right behind the toes. So these I, are the I'm, toes. I'm talking, and this, oh, and this, this is the sole pad. Oh. Whoops, and that's the sole pad of the forepaw. So it's just abbreviated. Kind of looks like a cashew. So, okay. But um, for example, here's here's one of what I'm talking about. This is one of my kids' feet. <laughs> whenever when, whenever you're born, whenever we are born, when we are when we are born, <laughs> for that. See, we have actually a little flexion crease right across our mm -hmm. foot there, right through the ball. And if you go home and look at you, if you have an inked baby uh, mm -hmm. birth certificate with an inked footprint, you can see that a, a variable expression of that. Well, people who tend to have uh, fl rather flat, flexible feet, like my boy, he's got a little bit of an arch, but he is uh, very mobile in step, so much so that uh, he was a avid soccer player. He got stress fractures in his mm. in his metatarsals but he has retained that flexion crease across the ball of his foot uh, much like a, like some Sasquatch do um, there's there's some exaggerated examples uh, here's one it's been kind of this one's been cleaned up uh, Bob Titmus had the habit of um, he would take the rather rough uh, footprint, you know, from that had the grain of the soil or gravel or whatever, but then he would take uh, clay 
and uh, smooth over it to make a, a facsimile, which he thought looked better, but uh, but it made it look blocky and unnatural. Yeah. So people say, you know, it sort of looks like the carved right. wooden feet. Yeah. So that's why some of them look blocky and square, and others are well. Some of them, in some cases. Now there are some fake. There are some carved wooden feet that the Wallaces had, and. Uh, huh. Usually their toes aren't this kind of rectangular shape or, or, or you know, a polygonal shape. Usually the Wallace signature was Easter egg toes that were just lined up with one just simple indentation of a crease between the toes and the... Huh. I mean, they're very recognizable. But in any case, the what I wanted to draw attention to was this right mm-hmm. here. Uh, this was big mystery and, and see the Wallaces exaggerated this. You know, it, it, to you know, to lunacy uh, in their attempts to make these fake feet, but it makes perfect sense if you realize that the Sasquatch toes are pretty long, and some people have webbing of the sole pad further up under the toes, and. Um, just like we have our, our fingers, our digits are webbed up past the knuckle for some distance. And so with that extra there, past the f- point of flexion, when we flex our knuckles, then the palm throws up a flexion crease. Well, same with the feet. Some people have less webbing between the toes. Some have quite a bit and it goes up further. Like uh, my ex-wife, she had, uh, 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 she was very petite, but she had, when you looked at the soles of her feet, they looked really chunky. They looked like little stubby toes, kind of like like uh, patties in, the, in that regard. But she had extremely flexible toes, and they were reasonably long. Uh, so so much so that she could bend her toes under her foot like that, mm. and it made her, you know, she looked like a fist. That's crazy. <laughs> um, my kids can do that, too. I can't do that. My toes won't bend, you know, even down about that far, let alone curl completely under like Yeah, kind of like that. In in any case, so one time I was uh, giving her a foot massage while we were watching a movie, and I I started thinking about this. I go, I wonder, I've never looked under her foot when her toes were bent like that. And so I just pushed her toes like that, and boom, a flexion (laughs) crease, just like you have when you're a baby, Mm -hmm. popped up right across her foot. Well, that's what's happening. Even Patty has it a little bit. You can feel, actually, right in there, there's kind of an indentation Mm -hmm. right there. And and that, so that marks the position of the joint. So that's how long her toes are. But all the way across there. And you see that, if you've ever seen the little gif that's been done, where they have one step and her foot swings forward and as it swings forward, her toes point up like this Mm -hmm. and boom, she's got these long toes. You would never have guessed by looking at the underside of her foot. And so, but it matches exactly when I, when I did a skeletal reconstruction of her, of her foot, you know, that's where I placed the joint. And, uh, and people thought, man, that's awfully long toes. How do you justify But it, it? makes sense makes if you're, sense. if you're, that's the kind of ground you're well, walking exactly. on and yeah. And, can, yeah. and like I said, they can afford to do that because they push off from the mm-hmm. entire forefoot instead mm-hmm. of, um, the weight going, you know, on a human. 
the weight comes down the outside and then it swings over and passes primarily through the big toe. Little toes are there mostly just for traction. They don't give a lot of, but that's the way Sasquatch toes are. They're mostly for traction and prehension of the irregular surface when climbing, walking up mm. steep slopes mm. and so mm. forth. So it makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's extremely elegant and biomechanically sound and distinct. They're not simply facsimiles of enlarged human feet. They are they are distinct in biomechanical ways, in their proportions, they're wider relative to length compared to humans. And that way they can, uh, you know, the tissues can tolerate the much greater mass that they're carrying. Um, you know, human feet, when, when you get giants that are of exceptional proportion, one of the problems they have is their feet, you know, the arches collapse, they, they pronate, mm-hmm. they get knock knee. they have to walk with canes. Or, it's one of our basketball players, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, do you have that print that had the deformity? Oh, I've been asking In fact, the, the last two ones up, up on the wooden box there, we we'll grab those. So we're just, we're just making a whipping out a copy. Oh, was this supposed to be white? Um, Is that the right one? White? This, the fur was white? Oh, no. No, I don't think anyone ever saw. That there, one? There might have been stories. I've heard of stories that. where a white one with pink skin yeah. had the deformed foot. That's not necessarily true, no, though. I, I don't know that that's ever been validated or, or uh, justified. Um, yeah, the white sightings of white ones are pretty pretty rare. But this this is uh, no, this unfortunately my mold got a, a kink in it and it. Uh, Did you want this one? Sure, that's the other half of it. Ah. Oh, this so, is other. Yeah, that's the normal foot, ah. which is a great example. The Sasquatch got all the features. And in fact, it's really remarkably similar to the Her- uh, the Hereford track in, in except uh, in the uh, uh, absolute breadth across the end. This is a little bit shorter than the Hereford. You can see how long the toes are on that one. Yeah. And even there, see, that was one thing. Grover Krantz, uh, in his reconstruction, he he argued that the um, since our toes were remarkably shortened because of the push off through the toes, that an animal that walked essentially like us, but was much much heavier, would have had even shorter toes. See, that were to avoid the bending stresses that the larger mass. <laughs> Well, uh, and if this creature had an arched foot like ours, then that would there would be logic for that. But the problem was it didn't match up with. There were so many examples of these really long toes. Um, Rene de Hinden uh, was skeptical of them, called them sausage toes, especially from the Freeman. Um, and so when when Grover, you know, he tried to. Um, um, reconstruct the foot skeleton of this individual, he had them with fairly, fairly short toes. And I argued he actually had the, a, a kind of a crease across here. It, was, it just didn't make sense. And I looked at it and in trying to reconstruct it. In this case, this individual doesn't have um, uh, a lot of the padding up farther. 
there is not so much evidence of a flexion crease. And so you get just this single bulge. Well, that single bulge, just like the ball of a human foot, marks the position of the joint. But so all of that would be toe all the way down to there. And here, here's another example. You see, this one really kind of drove that home because at first glance, you look at this, wow. and you think, oh, yeah, that's where, that's ridiculous. But you know, you put it up against that, and it's exactly, it's see? Yeah. It's exactly it's what we're sausage tool from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, this one just isn't webbed up quite as far as as this one, but the, the crease just isn't as, as evident there. But anyway, so that, that really nailed it for me because this was so detailed, and, the, and we had so many repeat appearances of this particular individual, recognizable as the same individual. Where's that one from? From uh, outside of Walla Walla in the Blue Mountains. Of, uh, and it also had dramatic lithics. This one had clear examples of very credible looking uh, dramatic lithics. And what are, what are dramatic lithics? Oh, I'm sorry, the skin, <laughs> skin ridge detail. Oh, okay. Like the fingerprints on mm -hmm. your fingers, you have the same kind of friction skin on the soles of your feet. Gotcha. And so... So how did you know this one was, was real? Like, I remember you talking right. about noticing the injury or whatever. Well, right. Well, Grover really drew attention. This, this was really central to his argument. I think it was this case that really put him over the edge in, in, uh, in concluding that there was something to this. Uh, and then when I looked at it and I studied the, uh, the, uh, manifestation of this type of pathology in human foot examples um, it, it just it was so clear uh, these are like I said are called bunionettes versus a bunion like when your you know grandma wears used mm -hmm. to wear shoes that pushed her big toe in and and this joint would get deranged and swollen mm -hmm. up and inflamed well in this case the injury whether it was an injury or a deformity uh, it could have been a crushing injury, you know, a rock or a tree fell on its foot. Or, um, <laughs> here's a funny story, uh, a, a distant cousin of mine uh, named Russell Meldrum um, uh, went on and became an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, he's about two or three years older than me. And I met him once uh, at uh, Cross Paths at the Testing Center at the University. Uh, but, uh, but then he went on and he saw him, happened to see me on a TV documentary. And so he looked me up, called me up, said, oh, I saw you. Well, we got talking about this. And I said, hey, you know, I've always wanted someone with your expertise in orthopedics to examine this one particular case. Can I send you a picture? Would you take a look at it? So I sent him a really nice 8 by 10 glossy of, uh, of uh, the original of casts and he phones me back he's all excited so this is really interesting he said you know the, the, the other foot's quite normal except, he said, except the heel's rather enlarged and elongated but, but this one uh, the deformity is really interesting he said for it to manifest on one side and not the other I would I would have to scream for any lesion of the spinal cord a problem like a tumor on the spinal cord can cause problems mm. downstream in mm. the nerves and, and result in changes, uh, contracture and hypertrophy and so forth. And he said, so I would send this person immediately in for a, an MRI of the lower spine. Wow. And he said, uh, you know where this was taken and when? 
uh, it's a small town there in Washington, you know, Bosburg. And uh, he said, you think you could maybe check with the hospitals there and see if they have records of a of a person that had a foot uh, deformity combined with spinal cord? I said, well, you know, I, I might be able to do that. It might be feasible. But I said, you do realize the guy would have to have 17 and a half inch feet. And there's this pregnant pause on the line. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> he was just so engrossed in the and, anatomy mm-hmm. and the pathology that the scale totally escaped him, even though there was two yardsticks in the photo, so it was really clear. So he was just stunned. Well, uh, two weeks later, I get a call. It, his He was on uh, in residency, and his attending physician, his supervisor, was the foot specialist in the group. My, my cousin was uh, specializing in hip and knee replacements and uh, but so this guy calls me up and he said uh, and we were told me about what Russell had told him and we talked about an hour about about all the possible interpretations and diagnosis and so forth and then he closed with this he said I hope you don't mind but I uh, imposed on Russell and he let me have the photo which I have framed now and it hangs in my office and every three or four months when I get a new set of residents come in for rotations he said this is the first case I have them evaluate and they're like that's a big foot yeah but see it's interesting see they don't have a dog in a fight they have no baggage about the implications for anthropology or evolution they just are examining the pathology and as far as they're concerned it's real Mm -hmm. it's absolutely I I spoke at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital was an invited speaker out there and so it gave me uh an opportunity to talk shop with the entire podiatry and orthopedics units wow. there at the hospital. And then people from the community invited the specialists from the community. And so I showcased this this particular example and then talked about all the other biomechanics that spun off from the observations of this proportionality and function and lack of arch, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they were just amazed. I left a really nice set of copies with uh, the department head and he had them on display <laughs> in the department uh, office there in Boston. That's amazing. So, so this one had four toes then? Well, the third or- so it's right here. Oh, is it so either like this? That's probably what. Yeah, it was, I think. It's just pushed up out of the way. Or it could have been amputated. You know, if it was a crushing injury, it could have been uh, crushed beyond healing. Uh, but as it is, I mean, this toe juts off at a very odd angle. Mm-hmm. You can see by comparison that there's some hypertrophy of the soft tissue. When did people start sending you print? Yeah, well, as soon as I started uh, making appearances on documentaries, it it became, sure became uh, that, and also uh, probably more frequently than having things sent here to the lab when I would speak at a conference and there were lots of attendees, people would bring in examples of footprint casts there for me to examine. I. I discourage people from sending original material right. to false service. It's just too too risky unless you go to extraordinary lengths. And even then, I, I had a was returning an original that I packaged very very carefully. Lots of lots of leeway and lots of uh, packing chips and bubble wrap and. Uh, it showed up on his front door with a forklift tunnel oh, right through the box, man. and it just shattered the oh, original. Yeah. Thankfully, I just made a very high-resolution latex copy of it, uh, mold and copy, so I was able to replace it for it. But still, you know, he kept the pieces. But it just—it was really obliterated. 
So anymore, I say, do not send originally to us. It's too risky. You know, we a lot can be done just with photographs. Mm-hmm. I mean, how you can how do you take a good photograph of a print? Well, the, the the main thing is to one that you can see after you've taken it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's always important that you you take some good shots directly above, and from a sufficient distance that you lessen the the parallax. It's better if you can, you know, to hold your camera back and actually zoom in a little bit than it is to get up too close. Because then the closer you get, the parallax, you know, makes it distorted around the margins. Um, and then lighting is really important important. If you're in the field, um, if you can wait or, or retake pictures when there's light at low angle, uh, or if you can use some artificial light or some bounce, bouncing light, I always carry in my backpack a piece of, just a piece of cardstock that you can use to bounce some light to do some fill if there's strong shadows. Uh, I mean, the cameras on these iPhones are so good these mm-hmm. days. That, you have to really try hard to take a bad picture. But I mean, well, apparently you know, we can do that. Right. <laughs> when people take one, you know, there's a, there's tracks over there, you know, and they, they take uh-huh. a shot from here. Right. But don't ever bother to do it. Uh, uh, you know, and that's it's just, it's actually very suspicious. Uh, some people do that intentionally because they want to make it look like that, yeah, yeah they want to, it to be ambiguous so you can't pick out the details or tracks in snow mm-hmm. you know you take a picture of the pattern but then never go up and take a picture right down in the hole where you can see the hoof prints of the deer right you know, right um, where it's bounded with a four-leg prong in the long. so um, having light uh, is is really important and then of course having scale uh, and, Something uh, to compare it to. Yeah. And not your boot or not your oh, grandpa's that's pocket what I knife. Used. <laughs> well, because see, I, I, and I, because I know how big my foot was. Well, yeah, you know, but I <laughs> right, don't know. Right, right, sure. right. And, uh, and so unless there's a scale, unless you take a picture of your foot then next to it, to a scale when you get home. That makes sense. Do you carry one of those with you then? Well, no, I usually carry something like this. I sometimes I print out just a bunch of, uh, of disposable ones, ah. you know, like this, but oh, as soon as yeah. they get wet. But you can buy, if you look online, there there are little scales like that that are available. And you can stick one in your wallet, you know, and always have it with. Um, you know, even if you use something that, that is absolutely standard, like a flat dollar bill, you know, True. or a quarter, you know, or something like that, as opposed to a flashlight or a pen or that isn't That could consistent. be a different size, yeah. That makes sense. I actually had someone, you know, I, I kind of chided him. I said, well, he said, well, my boot's right there. I said, well, I don't know what size your boots is. About two weeks later, he had mailed me his boot. <laughs> well, I said, back. well, I said, if you want this back, you know, it's sent me to It was a pretty bad, pretty bad boot. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's just, I had to laugh at that one. How many prints do you have? Do you know? It's in somewhere in excess of 300. Wow. We're, we're in the process. We're actually doing a project right now. A fellow named uh, J.C. Williams from Georgia had gotten in his mind that he wanted to create a virtual archive himself. And uh, it, it only made sense as if, if he approached me and if I, well, I was delighted. Uh, he, he had already done some research and identified a, um, uh, a program that, uh, that provided a browser where you could 
upload these 3D scans and, and with uh, a reasonable amount of annotation, uh, we want to be able to, you know, not only the who, what, when, where, why, but upload uh, photographs and uh, you know, bibliographic entries and so forth, all kinds of related stuff. And uh, so he's undertaken that. Uh, we were able to, I already had about 185 casts scanned by the uh, a different team, the virt our virtualization laboratory. And, um, and they're actually online. It's just that the, and what you can visit the web page, it's just, you can't do anything with it basically. But he was able to download those files directly. So we're already 185 into it. Nice. And um, so hopefully, depending on how my summer takes shape, either this summer or early fall, he's going to come out for like two or three weeks and skip the, rest the of remainder. Them. And then on top of that, we've got um, there's a professional tracker, uh, one of the. Um, not a man, well, he, I'm sure he could do man tracking, you know, and search and recovery and that kind of thing, but he's a, a wildlife tracker out of Gardner, Montana, north of Yellowstone National Park, and has a tracking school up there and everything. And I, I've worked with him, and we taught a workshop, a weekend workshop on rare and elusive animals, including Bigfoot. He has Bigfoot casts in his, wow. in his uh, tracking school, sells my book and my field guide. And, and he's, he's very uh, open-minded, not convinced, but he's open-minded. And of course, the tracks are compelling in many ways. Anyway, so he has probably the largest plaster footprint cast collection of wildlife oh. uh, in America. Interesting. And uh, he's several years older than me so he's thinking like I'm starting to think you know what's going to become of this stuff when we retire so um, we asked him if he would be willing to allow us to at least do bears wolves coyotes and cougars and then maybe add some other wildlife you know along with it to expand the scope of this archive once we get the Sasquatch stuff done so that it has some more broader context and, and opportunity to network with other people interested in tracks and yeah. get them interested in Sasquatch tracks as well realize that there, there is interesting data to be uh, considered so that's that's on the on the docket that'll be cool we're, we're working hard well we will be working hard JC's been getting the uh, everything lined up and figured out. Is this a hand? That the is the knuckles. Oh. Yeah, the is knuckles. Is it the one Cliff has in his museum? Right. I didn't know there. It oh. could well, yeah. That was also from the Freeman collection. And, uh, Do you know the, history, the story behind this at all? Well, there's not a lot of detail. It was in association with some other footprints, but I don't know off the hand. I had to go back to the notes to see if if Freeman kept track of that. But uh, yeah, it just you know it's, yeah, he it's has it hanging down. up in his museum. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, they're big. Wow. Now, this is exceptionally thick looking. And I always wondered about that because it seems, I mean, I realize the fingers are losing contact with the soil, but they do seem to be kind of tapered, which is more the grade eight condition. Mm -hmm. uh, we have broad, uh, more um, padded uh, fingertips because that's uh, our, our skeleton has been remodeled to allow us to, to hold objects and especially you know that precision grip between the, the pulp what we call the pulp pads of the of the digital uh, 
the ends of the digits. But this just seemed exceptionally thick. Well, then a student, it doesn't show up as well in this without, without the light just right, but you can see how there's a ridge right across here, mm -hmm. and it ends right there in the nail. There's mm -hmm. the nail. Oh, well, wow. in fact, it's the same. So it turned. It's the same shape and depth. So I think what happened is, you know, as it, it its thumb is actually sticking back like this. But what it did is it went uh -huh. like that through the. Uh -huh. So it translated. So in reality, its thumb probably is about the same shape as mine, but just not as broad. Wow. Um, but not nearly that deep because that you know shows the you know, the length of that ridge is how far it translated in the mud. So that's most of the depth of it. So um, interesting, very interesting. But run your finger over this third, you can feel that kind of barbell shape right there. So it looks like that knuckle. Where it has yeah. the dot between. Well, them. it's more yeah, more evident. It, it would correspond to this one, the proximal thalamus. Oh. You're right, though. It has the same shape there on the end there, but that's down a little further. That would be these knuckles here. Yeah. But it does start on the shape. Yeah. yeah. You know, just the oh. subtlety, the subtlety of, of that. Uh, and then, you know, there's a, the even go further. If this were my hand, see, my thumb would tend to jut off this way. That's because our thumb is rotated 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. See, when our fingers flex like that, our thumb, by comparison, flexes like that. That's from your thumb. <laughs> Mine yeah. has that too. Yeah. There's All two, the hitchhikers. Two kinds of, yeah, there's two kinds of thumbs those that are straight and those that go way back. <laughs> so it's just a genetic, that's just a genetic thing. But in this case, we're talking about the, ro the rotation of the thumb, the way it faces. So, so when we flex, our thumb kind of juts out there like that. The eight condition has less rotation. See, and I can't do it without really twisting hard. So our, our fingers flex, the, or their fingers flex, and the thumb flexes in the same orientation back this direction. Well, so that suggests that the Sasquatch has a thumb that isn't rotated 90 degrees. They have less precision grip than we do. They don't have the big thick pad like we do. A broad pad, and and of course we never see so them that's, making or using tools. That's not Shaq's hand. You could, they can still open the oatmeal packages. Well, apparently, <laughs> yeah, open oatmeal and and peanut butter. Teeth. Have you seen that cast? If you're if you were at the cliffs, you, that cast with the fingers. Uh, he didn't have it ready when we were there. Oh, here. I wanted to see that. That's oh, it. Presumably, crazy. those are fingertips stuck in. I don't know if all at once or multiple. It could have been one. You can even see the fingernails. Yeah, that's. Yeah, it was Nutella, wasn't it? Maybe it was. I I thought it was peanut butter, but it could have been Nutella. Who knows? Uh, Nutella usually has is the oval shape to it. This looks round, but. That's kind of a small size for, you know, there are smaller peanut butter. Is this, he put it up in the tree and inside a tube, right? You know, I one? can't remember all oh. the, the details. That's one thing I've got to do is uh, when I get ready to process these, I'm literally going to have to take pictures because in a lot of cases he sent me things that sometimes they're annotated, sometimes they're not. Oh, my shit. And so um, I think that was I'll have to send pictures. So there's probably the smallest. This one comes from David Ellis of the wow. Olympic, the Olympic Project. Yeah. This one, uh, Cliff, baby. Cliff got from Michigan, <laughs> which isn't much bigger. And uh, again, the thing that's interesting is this huge heel, mm -hmm. the breadth of the heel. Uh, and it's not like a regular baby's 
toes that are like scrunched up. Yeah. It's, they're longer. So, yeah. The, the shoe is what makes our toe do this. So normally yeah. they'd be splayed out. Yeah. Yeah, they are. If you look at babies, even, you know, people, even now we put sh- shoes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not as confined as they used to be years ago, but uh, but still uh, put uh, shoes or booties on that, that have a confining effect on them. But, and, and it varies. I had a, my, my nephew, my younger sister is uh, adopted. It's a quite different nationality, but my, uh, and his father, so uh, uh, was uh, uh, African-American. So he has, you know, I mean, this was when he, he was old enough, he'd worn shoes, but I tell wow. you, you look, you think, you think you're looking at a Samoan or a Hawaiian yeah, or something. They've never that's put a, anything but sandals on, <laughs> and no arch, very flat, pronated foot, so it bulges out this way. And, and he has had trouble with his knee. Oh, he's a football player, and, but well, it gives him good stance, though. I guess, <laughs> yeah. So I thought, you know, he's he's so much bigger. This was when he was. Uh, in about high school age. Wow. Barely. <laughs> and uh, just had him step out in the yard. But so it varies. I mean, the point being, you know, if, if I found this in the woods, I would really wonder, you know, that has some of the, except for this narrower heel. See, that's the, mm-hmm. the one kind of giveaway compared. Even this one is, is uh, bigger, yeah. uh, broader, as narrow as this foot is. The females tend to be a little more uh, parallel sided and a little bit narrower. Let me see, here's just a good, this was one that Grover had in his collection as an adult human example somebody but it shows all the characters the little yep. differentiated ball kind of this button hook where it comes uh-huh. up around and then the, the outline of the arch narrow heel toes pushed in on little toe pushed in lined up so that's a jaguar that toe oh yeah in. Yeah, I but if you know, it's sticking out, then well, well, yeah, is. yeah. I mean, because like, look at this one that I, yeah, I showed you. Look different. at the little toe there. I mean, the pads pointing straight down. In fact, the toes flaring outward instead of curling in and bent over on its side. In some cases, you know, the toenail is so bent on its side, the toenail's facing out entirely mm-hmm. instead of up. Oh, but, uh, this one you were talking about, he was in the middle of nowhere and saw it in Something the field in the middle of the night? That's what he claimed. That's oh. what he claimed. You know, but, and, and it was... It's curious why it, somebody would get out running barefoot. Well, yeah, you know. it was fairly cold. And uh, uh, in the wee hours of the morning, I, I honestly just suspect it was he, it was the, the fellow that did it himself. Uh. Um, and then just just to get some notoriety for whatever reason, you know, mm-hmm. whether it did or not, I'm not sure. But it mm. certainly was not. I mean, it's a clear example of that. And the photo, he snapped the picture. I didn't mention that the picture, and it looks like this, you know, very stooped over with arms hanging down. Except it just blends in with the surrounding brush. It's kind of the pareidolia where you just see something right. in the in a random. Pa- I see a pattern in random. Uh, images or random shapes and trying to make a face out of a dirty window exactly what a specific question what do you think of of Stacy Brown's um, thermal imager video that his dad yeah I you know I I don't have a conclusive 
opinion about it. I'm, I've met him several times. I met his father once. Father seems to be upstanding, and, and so does Stacy. But no, I have uh, I, I have no reason to suspect it's it's something other. It, it sure seemed to be big. One of the things that's always interesting about thermal is if you do some. You know, whenever you're evaluating a thermal image that's presented as possibly Sasquatch, is um, you know you, you you take into account um, how a person, a clothed person, appears, uh, or even a naked person. If someone has the mm-hmm. gumption to strip down bare naked <laughs> and run around the woods. Uh, because the presence of hair, hair covering, or the presence of clothing has a dramatic effect, especially when you're at a, at a distance that the resolution is sufficient, you can see body segments and so forth. I mean, the first time we ever used thermal, we had uh, llamas on the trip. We were packing with llamas. And it was so interesting because you, uh, we were with a Japanese film crew and they had one of these state-of-the-art at that time. It was a... Uh, liquid nitrogen cooled uh, device. Wow! And uh, you know, so had a had a very brief uh, period of operation. But we did some experiments and we directed it on the llamas, and they were almost invisible, except for their nose and their ears, and where their backs were shaved for the uh, paneers. For so the, the hair hid the heat. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it insulated them, especially that llama wool. And when you look at people. You know, you could see their faces, you could see their the wrists, you could see the seams on their jackets where the heat was leaking through, uh, where the insulator actually had a down jacket that had a area where it was too compressed or the stitching was too tight or something that would show up so so you wouldn't get a real hot heat signature from uh well it depends on how hairy they are right it would be it would you would get uh, some depending on if if there's enough differential even with your clothing compared to the background you will but it won't be this white hot figure Mm. um and so you know if depending on how much hair covering now, the Sasquatch hair is probably not as insulating as llama wool mm-hmm. is, um, but still, it's going to have an effect, so there will be bright spots that are exposed, mm. palms of the hands, and, you know, depending on how much, how good their countercurrent systems are to keep the extremities um, from losing too much heat. So, you know, I'd have to go back and look at it again and and uh, examine from that. I, uh, you know, it's, my, my attitude has been and continues to be that, you know, we've got the Patterson-Gimlin film and it has set the bar so high mm-hmm. that all these other things are wrestling with down here. Uh, so I'm not gonna expend too much energy, especially not debating or arguing something that's equivocal. That you can't prove one way or another. Right, because right. yeah. to, to what end? If I convince myself or I convince somebody else, it's still in the scale of things, it's it's featherweight. Um, and so I, I tend to spend more time trying to organize uh, and present logical arguments that uh, you know, built around the the more persuasive, um, more prevalent information that we have, um, 
because there's tons of people who want to opine about these other things right. and argue about it. Right. And some of them bring great, uh, you know, great expertise or, or insight, at least, uh, to to the conversation. And so, you know, I don't to discourage that conversation from taking place, but just realize that, you know, in, in many instances, we'll never really know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm quite convinced. I'm 99.9% convinced of the Patterson-Gillen film, but we'll never absolutely know unless someone brings in a specimen and they say, oh, well, yeah, obviously it's the exact same thing. It must be must have been real all along. You, know? you, you did, a, when was that, a couple years ago, the Bigfoot? Brand Cliff Lieutenant. did it, spoke, yeah. and then you spoke, or one or the other. Yeah, Some guy from Hollywood yeah. did a thing afterwards. Hollywood, with all their money and skills, made these Bigfoots, and they were terribly done. Yeah. And then he shows the Patterson-Gimlin film, and, you know, none of this is here, even though they spent millions, or, I don't know, tens of thousands. Yeah. That really, oh, I sat yeah. there. It's like, like I've said uh, before, it's so easy to say, oh, that's just a man in a fursuit, until you put it up against a man in a fursuit. Right, yeah. right. And then it's all too obvious that it's not. We were doing a shoot for National Geographic Channel. We were down in uh, California, Stanford, and there was Professor uh, Jessica Rose. It was a pediatric gate lab for uh, you know children with ailments that uh, involved uh, gait analysis and so forth. And they they also recruited an orthopedic surgeon that worked closely with these patients. Basically, he had them before, and she had them in the recovery therapy part. Jessica Rose and Brian Gamble, and they co-authored the book on called Human Walking, which is just kind of the almanac of all the data on various gates and, and gait uh, derangements and so forth. But anyway, the producers had hired an actor, Will, Will Muscle, guy about six foot two, and rented a costume. And it was a fairly, I mean, it, it had made appearances on a couple of TV commercials. <laughs> it had an under suit with an armature of foam, sculpted foam rubber and spandex, you know, that you can pull on. And um, and then an outer stretch fur costume, but it had these really just rinky-dink feet uh, where they just had literally glued onto <laughs> leather loafers, the, the foot shape of it, and the toes curled up like, like uh, you know, Bozo the Clown. And, uh, and then the head was humongous. Anyway, we were trying to see if we could train him to walk like Patty to replicate the joint angles. Now, ignoring the, the girth and the breadths and the arm lengths and all that. Yeah. But just to get the angles right, get the, the step and that high lift, you know, and swing and so on. And, and the forward lean, that was what was interesting because Patty stands at about five to 10 degree forward lean as she's walking all the time. And man, the guy was sitting on my back. You know, just after 45 minutes of this, he said, my back's just killing me. Yeah, I bet. But, uh, and that's why, you know, she's got these hum- tremendous development of the erector spine muscles down her back. But anyway, at one point, Jessica, who had already taken tons of flack from her colleagues for even just agreeing to do this interview, mm-hmm. Um, she's she's standing here next to me, and we had uh, the uh, the uh, a GIF of the film on on the loop, and it was projecting up onto this one blank wall, so it was you know almost a little bit larger than life, 
the walking across the wall as the actor is doing the thing, you know, so the camera could actually go back and oh. forth. Yeah, it was really cool. But uh, she's standing here with me, and, and, and we're, we're just taking it all in. At this point, we, the actor's getting pretty good at mimicking the walk. Uh, that she, you know, she looks at it and she looks up at the wall and she looks back loud enough so I could hear. She was speaking to me, kind of, but sort of just to herself. She said, that's obviously a man in a fursuit. Then she turns and looks at the wall. She goes, that's not a man in a fursuit. <laughs> wow. And I said, no, I don't think so. I, I think you, you, you've uh, come to the conclusion. I said, now are you going to say that on camera? <laughs> she said, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it just, like I said, it just was so obvious. Um, and that, that suit was... And she's like the expert on walking. Yeah. So two yeah. farmers can't, or ranchers or whatever they were, can't. Well, and... Yeah, It'd be and, tough. and it's they didn't have foam rubber, they didn't have spandex, they didn't have four-way stretch fur. They had just fur cloth, which was just you know, no no give to it. So it, it couldn't conform. It had to have lots of baggy slack, so it would hang in in folds and like drapes, you know, and. Uh, but you wouldn't be able to see the muscles moving. Exactly. And yeah. Well, see, the, one of the first commenters, Johan uh, Prohoshka, who was the expert, he was the, the ape uh, actor in War of War's costume. He looked at it, he said, the only way you could do that is if you glued the fur directly to the skin. He said that would take about, about eight hours. He said eight hours of work to wow. prepare that. That's if you could find someone of those dimensions right. to start with. It if you enjoy our show, please like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. We will be introducing other Mystery Media Group guests in our upcoming episodes, along with weekly bonus material. If you'd like to see more pictures and evidence from our adventures, visit www.destination-mystery.com. You'll find a link to our blog, as well as a link for merch and contact information. Until next time, find your own destination. Solve the mystery. This is a production of Mystery Media Group. Yay!